Speakers have to realize that if they're dropping their fee now because they're doing stuff virtually, they're basically saying you are paying us for our time, not you are paying me for my experience and for my knowledge and for what I am going to give. Most importantly, what I am going to give to you in terms of value and content. Yeah. So it actually un undermines the value that you're bringing if you turn it into a time for money transaction. Listen, if, if it wasn't, if it kind of, it, it kind of, if I was a buyer right now and I saw that you, Anthony, were going to prepare to do a speech for me for 250 quid, you know, something in six months' time or six or like three weeks' time, according to Boris, but kind of three, yeah. whatever it is, you, whether, whether it's kind of vir virtual or whether it's real, you are worth 250 quid because that's all the value you're giving. Now, yeah. that's our that's our challenge. And I think this is a critical thing. That's the industry challenge. And that's why I'm really happy going back to you, Dave, to just be speaking to you guys, because yeah. we've got to work through this together, because I understand we need to be paid as much as you need to be paid. We all need to make money out of this. Um, well, like I say it's a career, right? It's it's, it's not a, for some people. They almost treat it like a hobby, I think. Yeah. And that's fine. Apart or, from your inner or, or therapy, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the ego, ego feeding. But I think. Um, Listen, the truth is I have, I think, over 8,000 speakers on our, on our system and more coming on every day. You guys choosing it as a hobby or choosing it as a career, you're choosing a place which is, um, which is busy. And every day there's new people coming on board and, and they are coming on much smarter than you are because they are looking at it with a viewpoint of a new fresh eyes. Just because you've been in it beforehand for the last 15 years and doing very well out of it, I've got doesn't matter to me. And, and I don't know if, if how true this is or if I'm just describing myself, but quite as quite a lot of us speakers like shiny stuff and the new gadget and actually it's, it's about mastering and using the ones that help you with your performance and delivering rather than flicking from one system to another and trying to do all fancy graphics and editing and all this kind of stuff, right? No client has ever said to us, we want that speaker who's doing the late, who's using the latest technology. Okay. Yeah. So, so unless it's somebody who's specifically talking about innovation, perhaps, yeah. then it's but, not really appropriate. <laughs> but even the guys who are using innovation, they do it in the, you know, if you are the best at that, if you are producing using the latest technology, the best slides, don't, absolutely, it's going to make you stand out. If yeah. you're doing it just because you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Like kind of, I, I have all sorts of issues about PowerPoints and slides and everything else we can go into, but <laughs> I, I, I think that, I think kind of the, the yeah, you are who you are because of what you say, not because of what you are present, not because of how you're presenting it or anything like that. Okay, interesting, interesting. Cool. Well, obviously, welcome to Mr. Dodd, past welcome, resident. Uh, well done for uh, getting uh, such a uh, splendid guest as uh, Nick. Uh, again, uh, lightning does strike twice in the same place, so uh, great to see you both. Honestly, I'm just coming on to be flattered. It makes me feel like you stop it, stop it. Well, I, I've, got, I've got a counter to that, and that is uh, online this morning I saw a uh, a new innovation which was a hair cutting robot uh and uh, uh yeah we could try that on both of you actually and get very different <laughs> results uh, what, 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 did it crawl up your back um <laughs> it didn't say that um, <laughs> but though my my take on it was that i could help uh with the chat because uh the robot did say a couple of things but wasn't nearly as good as uh as my hairdresser at uh you know, asking the questions about your next holiday or whatever. Uh, so uh, there's some uh, great answers and some great questions which still need to be programmed in. So the same question, just a different wording. Where are you daring to go on holiday then? Is that is that how they would ask it now? Yeah, yeah, that, that's probably uh, probably the thing of our time. So Nick, um, are you able to uh, re react to the latest uh, Boris Johnson announcement about uh, conferences coming back and business meetings coming back in October from uh, the perspective of your... Uh, 
great position. He, he, brief, he briefly touched on that before you got here, Michael, but maybe well, you can expand on what you think is going to happen. Well, I thought getting the take of uh, speaker bureaus around the world, if you can speak to them all, Nick, as, uh, <laughs> as you know that can, uh, that would be great. I, I, you know, so the truth is kind of, um, in my role as president of the International Association of Speaker Bureaus, I'm, I'm now on the, um, the Business Venues and Events Partnership Board or whatever it is, which is basically for the entire industry advocating to the government. Um, and we sit, we sit in the speaker industry as a, sm as a small but absolutely critical part of this whole industry, but getting a wider perspective of what was going on was fascinating. I, I was at my second or third meeting last week, and one of the really interesting angles which I was listening to and thinking they are so right were the conference and exhibition, either venues or people who are putting it on, were talking about themselves and actually what they did. And effectively, they do data. So when you go into a conference or an exhibition, you get scanned. So they've automatically got your name and your address and your phone number and everything about you, track and trace. They then kind of, they then absolutely mark out your path through the exhibition and they could put kind of, and you know, and they can restrict how many people are going to different booths or how many people come into conferences and all this other stuff. So actually, they are ideally suited. The meetings and conference industry are ideally suited to actually the regulations that are in place around social distancing and track and trace and everything else that's going on. And the question is, is not can we do it? It's not like the restaurants or the pubs or maybe other areas where actually, or kind of gyms or anything else who are literally having to reinvent themselves and find out ways to do it. Actually, the meetings and events industry naturally are already doing it. And yet they're not being given a pathway, um, apart from for today, just now, over mm. what the timetable is. And because of that, no one's planning anything um, because no one really knows what they kind of how to do it or what's going on. And people are kind of resistant because in case it happens. So my opinion about today is the fact that the fact we've got a date isn't the most important thing. Who knows what's going to happen? Genuinely, who knows what's going to happen? But there's a will and there's an urge to be for people to be discussing what's going on next whether it kind of is a conference or whether it's an exhibition or actually moving forward with business and we're seeing that on the street so hopefully if the only thing we get out of this is a is a focus from event planners and uh, producers and everyone in the game that we can now actually forge ahead and you know that we can't keep on waiting because who knows if there's going to be a second third 17th wave what we do know is the fact we've now got a date where they've given us license to do this we've got to start planning so I don't know. I don't know what, what this actually means in reality. What I do know is that date should actually give us the um, momentum. Like say, something to aim for. Yes, um, which is what we need. But, and, and we need us all to be talking about it because I don't mean to bore you all, but I found this absolutely fascinating. Um, they're talking about the problem with the industry over the fact that when you as a company you set up um, and you register yourselves at company's house, and you had to put in your classification code. Um, and, and the hotels are the really good example. So a hotel will put in, what do you do? We actually provide accommodation for people. And because of that, kind of, they've been, kind of the government have been very focused on actually how the tourism um, has fallen off and hotels are in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a realization that actually the conference industry, not only are they providing the conference rooms in their hotels, but actually three quarters of the, of the people who are actually staying in that hotel are delegates for the conference. And what we're not good at as an industry is actually turning around and saying we encompass so many different fields so actually our value to the to the um economy is much bigger than the purely conference um yeah thing so and i think again going back to why i'm speaking to you guys and why i i believe that we need to be speaking more as an industry is we've got to get more 
um, joined up and we've got to be advocating more and we've got to understanding again, going back to where we started the conversation. If we're in this as a career and we're in this in order to grow the industry so we can all do well out of it, whether it's doing well from the context of actually helping people for, surge forward by, the, by our voices and on the content we're delivering, or whether it be personally for ourselves, making a bit of money, earning a living and everything else. We've got to do that as a, as a, as a team. You, you all might see each other as friendly rivals, competitors in the speaking world, but actually you are, you are business partners in order to help us get back on our feet as an industry. Well, that, that pitch you make on behalf of uh, the bureaus and conferences is one that uh, speakers can do as well, I suppose, at this time. It's not just uh, the economy of individual speakers or uh, it's, uh, it's what we can add uh, to the economy in troubled times. Yeah. But it sounds like a great pitch. I, I, and I, it, honestly, it really struck home to me because I never thought about it, never realised in terms of the wider business thing, the impact on a broader sense of what actually we do. Um, and I think that's how we need to kind of, and I say we, I'm saying us all together, not just speakers, I'm saying the speakers, we need to be thinking like that because this is the, we are, we're not in competition against each other. We are competition kind of towards the government about getting the regulations above the pubs or above the, because if we can get out there and actually they give us the meetings before they open up the pubs, we're back in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think the Professional Speaking Association probably operates the same as you in speaker bureaus. I mean, I don't see you, Nick, as being a, uh, a kind of a, a fierce rival of Priscilla in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, yeah um, and nor do I see myself as a fierce rival of, uh, of QJ or, or Anthony. Um, you know, it is more a matter of uh, cooperating with people in the same business. Uh, and at the moment, it sounds like you've got a great pitch for us that we can uh, build on to uh, uh, let uh, the, um, uh, the world know how, uh, how valuable we can be to them. Absolutely. And on, on the note, just because we were talking about venues, this came up um, uh, last weekend uh, at PSA London. We had a guy called Paul Cook come in uh, and him and Alan uh, admittedly said that they, they, they set up or were setting up the, the virtual speaking academy about seven years ago and it was seven years too soon. Um, but what was interesting is he was talking about, um, I'm just going to let Nigel Resner in in a second, so brace yourself. Uh, um, uh, what he was talking about is a lot of the venues are now set up to deliver these hybrid events and almost to be able to broadcast. So you might have a small selected audience to begin with, but hybrid events is going to include some form of virtual audience as well as physical audience, uh, not necessarily just one or the other. But a lot of venues are working to help um, stream these events and give you that studio set up that gets speakers there so you can have a running order and, and get a bit of a buzz. Do you think that that's where we might be going? There's no doubt about it. I mean, the hybrid is the marketplace that everyone should understand is where we are. Oh, Nigel's taking the, Nigel, Nigel's taking the sun. Um, the marketplace is where, where it's going to be because whether you think of it from a from every perspective, whether you're thinking of it just in terms of like the unknown, actually, if you can ha have a meeting for 30 people and be broadcasting out to 3000, kind of, it's much more risk averse. If you think of it in terms of sustainability, the truth is, is kind of, you can be talking to your teams all around the world at the same time without having to fly them everywhere. And then if you think in terms of cost, if you're not having to transport everyone to a single venue, you're saving an absolute fortune, which means they, we can, well, they can get better quality speakers. Or yeah, maybe I'm they're hearing, not that I'm better quality. Lots. Higher charging speakers. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's funny because there was somebody who um, had an inquiry, they'd worked with a, a council on a few occasions where usually the council don't have much of a budget for speakers, uh, but it turned out that when they went virtual, they had no venue costs and actually all of a sudden they did have a, a 
uh, a budget for speakers. So uh, we, we welcome Mr. Risner, who uh, has just joined us and actually introduced me to Nick. So thank you. Pleasure. Lovely to have you uh, have you online. Uh, yes, and we're just milking every last bit out of Nick that we can possibly get. But I, I'm feeling bad because uh, QJ, I don't think you may have a question or two. And you've been very patient and quiet. Mr. Dodd just dominated as he usually does, which uh, made my life a bit easier. But is there anything in particular? Because you wrote a brilliant summary of Nick's, uh, what Nick talked about last time. We seem to be getting quite a lot of comments and did it really well. So anything from you, QJ? Um, I wasn't actually thinking of coming on and asking questions, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was great last time. So this this time is obviously going to be great as well. So whatever people have as more, more advanced questions, I think would be great to hear from you, Nick. So well, while Nigel's warming up, uh, I'm sure Nigel's got something. Uh, just to pick up on what you just said, Nick, um, thanks, QJ, for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I was contacted by an organization recently. I'm not sure how flaky or credible they are. I won't name them. But they wanted uh, their offer to the business world was they were fairly techie. And it was like, we can guarantee that your conference will go ahead, either face to face or online or both. And uh, that seemed to be a pretty good offer. If I was running a company, I'd be thinking, well, we might get you guys in um, to set up the technology in the hotel or the venue. Uh, so that we go ahead, come what may, is that a kind of model that uh, you know is likely to be working October and beyond? Yes, but I don't. But I think as if you're trying to use that as your uh, point of difference as an, as a as a company, I think that's going to go away rapidly. I think the technology. Remember, we are literally at, at the starting place of technology in terms of the virtual. Um, it's going. The, the rate of change is enormous, and it's just going to become normality very very quickly so i think you, I you think, highlighted this i think uh, at our last event yeah. the the expectation of if you're positioning yourself as a virtual speaker the expectation is that you're going to have decent quality cameras good sound good light a hardwired connection a backup connection in case it goes wrong there were lots of things that yeah i think i think i think as as the production company it kind of that that is almost a given and they've got to impress their credibilities and demonstrate they're doing it but i think it's a point of difference i don't think they should see that as a point of difference if you if you ask me the point of difference listen i think kind of i've been in talks for the last couple of years with companies looking at kind of them who are doing they're doing um, people who are doing hologram um speaking and stuff like that and that's kind of quite interesting because then you get the 3d visualization um also i think vr and ar is going to be massive in terms of um in terms of what's going on in the conference industry. And I think that's that's interesting and that's out there. I think just being saying, don't worry, we'll be able to do it virtually, hybrid or live, we'll be able to co cover all of them. Yes, right now, absolutely. By September, October, if kind of, if we do, if we are back in the game and everything's running smoothly, I'm not convinced it's going to be such a, like that's, well, that's what I'd expect at the bare minimum from someone um, producing a company. Yeah, but it was funny because I said to you when you were listing all of these things as speakers, some of us have a one pager. Should we be putting our studio set up? And, and and your response was kind of, well, in the short term, maybe, but no, that's going to be the standard, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of you'll be updating it. I think I had a I was having a conversation with someone the other day just about the fact they were talking to me about what they were going to buy for their studio setup. And I was like, because the they wanted to be top range. And I was like, the problem is, is actually, if you're top range now, literally within a month's time, that top range is going to be mid range. Are you going to keep on buying equipment? Because if you're positioning yourself as that ahead of the game, how much money are you going to be investing to stay ahead of it? 
Yeah. And is it going to give you a return? And I didn't have an answer to that. It was just a, a, a conversation of, are you focusing your efforts in the right way um, to, to create that point of difference? And you got, for me as a speaker, your point of difference is, is what you have to say and the content you're delivering and the takeaways the clients are getting out of you, not look at me, I'm on a screen and I, my hair looks nice. Or so, so, so on that note, what should other speakers be focusing on? Like you say, the technology is more the mechanism of doing it and, and unless that's what you talk about. I, I, really, I should have I re-watched what I spoke about last time to you guys because I might have talked about it last time, but I think, um, and please, please stop me if I did, but I think the, one of the things that I'm thinking massively now, we're talking about massively now, um, is, sorry, that's my phone going, is um, the deliverables and the takeaways that the people who are watching you are going to take away from it need to be laid out as the most critical part of your CVs or your biogs or your one page or whatever you want to call them. And why do I say that? Because it's not, we'd no longer have the coffee break after you, you do a, you do your session. So I had no chance to talk to ever, anyone else. What I have a chance to do is go straight back to my emails and start working again. So what I want is I want actually things I can use immediately, not things I can contemplate, ruminate and change my lives about because they'll be forgotten because I've got 400 emails from my boss. Yeah. Furthermore, and I did, did I mention the, the other side of it is that um, weirdly, being at home and working from home and having this new freedom in my eyes has given people uh, people are more conscious about what they're doing and more guilt have guilt about what they're doing than ever before in terms of justification to their bosses about how they're working which okay. actually is weird because they no longer have their bosses looking over their shoulder saying what they're doing and therefore you need to help them be able if they get asked the question and hopefully everyone's a great boss out there and they're not micromanaging people from afar or anything like that but if they were to be asked the question they could turn around and say i, I spent an hour with anthony or kind of yeah. and this is what i've used with it um yeah. and, and and it's definitively over what they because that's what it's no longer about kind of the conversation is about how they are going to take what you are doing and actually use it for themselves and how they're going to justify what they're using so if yeah. you're talking abstract uh, group thinking then that's how you manage the technology as an individual speaker trying to help people improve themselves they mm. need to know from the outset in order to book you in order to understand what you're doing what am i taking away from this yeah uh, so on that note i've got a question i'm just going to let uh, graham davies come in and uh, and join us but while i'm waiting for him to connect there was a question from jane gunn which kind of you're sort of answering at the moment which is some of the feedback she's getting from clients um, is on the basis that clients want experts, not speakers, and the request is much more time devoted to the Q and A. How do you, is that something you've noticed too? Yes, and even more, I'd say it's not a kind of forget the Q and A. You are no longer giving a speech. You're now in conversation with a bunch of with with a bunch of people. It's not Q and A. Q and A. If I'd even say to you guys, start your Q and A. The first thing you do when you open up is start with a, a question start with some interactivity okay. don't leave it until you've delivered your speech yeah well the nice thing is some some people would talk to the front row sometimes and you, when you to kind of get that engagement with the audience and you can normally see and hear them uh but what was interesting i think uh, i'm sure it was tom morley who said this phrase first is that everybody now has a front row seat and actually that you're now in conversation rather than delivering a speech so, so, so it's really interesting. If you had asked me in the first few weeks of lockdown and the, the switch to virtual, 
why is virtual so good at a time we were trying to convince clients to go to virtual it'd be it'd be the fact that you could have three thousand people on the on the screen and everyone would be able to see you as we can see each other so everyone's got the front row seat mm -hmm. and as time went on we suddenly kind of we had this realization and i say we kind of it, very much a speaker's corner this is the way we we're thinking is it's more distant we can pretend that everyone has a front row seat but the truth of the matter is i could very well while i'm talking to you also be answering emails and not looking at the screen at all i have no understanding of whether you really are engaged or not yeah and so the question the question is how actually can we get people engaged beyond the fact they can see your face really close up because the truth is they're not even looking at you i'm looking at your lovely pink bookshelf behind <laughs> yeah. you. i'm looking at the plants behind you i'm looking at that's what we're looking at yeah. so that's not engagement so you no. suddenly realize hold on is having 3,000 people, if I'm trying to interact with people, is the concept of having 3,000 people on, on screen, can I actually see them all whiz through my screen and be talking to them and stuff like that? And the answer is it's hard. And so what we're seeing yeah. is we're seeing this, well, hold on, maybe actually we should be running 10 sessions of 30 people or whatever. I know that's not the math, right? But where actually, if I ask a question, I, I can see the 10 answers and I'll be able to interact with the 10 answers. And if I could do that, if I can do shorter sessions for those 10 groups and actually deliver more to each of them, because it's interactive, maybe that's as much value as me giving this big keynote because we're no longer in the era of, of a big keynote being able to deliver. Yeah. So almost take a workshop approach to it where you're breaking it down into smaller groups, much more interactive where everybody's involved. And can I, I think it's really important to say this, I'm not saying definitely this is what you must do. I'm in no way I'm saying this is the future and this is what's going on. All I'm saying, I think it's a fact that think differently. Do not try and turn around and say, this is what I've done historically and now I'm doing this. It's like, what do I do? What are my strengths as a speaker? Where actually, when I'm on stage, am I really hitting home with clients? And when I say clients, I think that's really interesting. Kind of the, is the client the person butcher is the client the 400 people in the audience, whatever it was. But the, four, the people in the audience, am I hitting home with them? How do I replicate that online? Because the truth is, it's not the same. Like kind of, I, I had that same fear from some of my clients because I do a lot of training is is training as effective if they're just watching you down a screen and actually if you follow the right 70 30 laws you get them actually doing stuff in the breaks then sharing the experience actually yes it is in fact it's, it's probably more so because you can spread it out without the travel so actually you can segment it much easier to give them chance to put it into practice um i sorry to jump in qj i think you might have a question now have i got that right in the chat box yeah i have thanks anthony um nick my question's about when you come off stage um i i don't speak anymore by the way i'm just still involved in the industry um so i'm asking for other people um so you have a speaker that comes on and delivers awesome content and people love it and they they say oh that was great you know want to get in touch blah, blah blah what what are the channels that aid that further communication in your experience because we know we can't and we don't want to spam the audience and say you know glad you could turn up you know I'm here here's my email address but there are lots of ways that you can enable continuing the conversation with those in the audience who want to do that and I wondered if you had any hints and tips about that okay. So yes, I, I think kind of it's, it's, it's a really interesting question kind of because I, I, I did have very much firm opinions about it in the old physical world. And I think what's interesting now about the virtual world, because the old physical world, I'll be turning around and saying, yes, look at, look at social channels. You've got, you got the internet, actually, how do you interact and how do you do that? And that's great. And we talk about a lot about that. But actually, what's interesting in virtual is you're already on those platforms with them. So you've already, you've already started the whole thing. And almost it feeds nicely into what I was saying just before. 
is that actually if you start with what deliverables they're going to be taking away from it, you're actually are ending your speech on a call to action. And by ending it on a call to action, you are no you are ending it by saying to them actively come back to me to demonstrate that you've used um, what I've taught you. Yeah, yeah. And I think kind of which means that you're biting the bullet because then you're 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 losing control of who makes the next contact. But you're gaining control because the people who do come back to you are people who are fully engaged with you. And I think that's that's a critical thing for speakers. It's realistically not thinking they're trying to capture 300 people in the audience. Mm. You're trying to capture one, two, three percent because those are the ones who engage with you. Hopefully, they're the they're the people who actually organise events themselves and they rebook you and everything like that, or even they just book you for a small team meeting or whatever it is. But there's no. I I, I would strongly advise you wouldn't do mass mar kind of mass marketing no. to everyone in the audience. Is is a bad way forward because. But, but, it, but it kind of depends though, because there are some speakers who will go and showcase at business type show type of events where they're looking to use it as a showcase to get leads and sell from the back of the zoom shall we call it um yes I, but so, so again but then that comes down to what is your model and, and if your model to me they're not speakers they're using speaking as a platform to sell other stuff right so for, listen, I, I, I'm absolutely, my whole thing for speakers is the fact that the speaking comes at the centre of everything. You know, it's anything, write a book. But the reason you're writing a book is because it's a modern day business card. Go on telly. The reason you're on telly is because actually it means you can raise your fee. Go and get an, a non-exec job at a big company. Why? Because it's going to look great on the first line of CV. Because by doing all of that, I, 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 can't, I, pretty, I assure you, you're more likely to get more jobs and you're more likely to raise your speaker fee. So, so that's my perspective. So it's positioning. It's strategic. Yeah, if you if you are if you are if you are doing stuff kind of at at, free, at at business events where you're trying to promote yourself, it's probably because you're off the back of it. You're trying to you're trying to get consultancy. You're trying to get book selling. You're trying to raise your profile. Whatever you're trying to do, but it's not so you're trying to get more speaking gigs. So so one of the things that I always do is I try and give people the, like you say the practical things to take away. And I always say, um, and I get told that I'm crazy doing this. I always say to people, well, look. Can you put your hand up if you've got something useful you could put into practice? And everybody puts their hand up and you go, brilliant. In which case, I'm going to give you my direct personal mobile number. And once you've done three calls, you're welcome to phone me to either tell me how brilliant I am and how well it worked. Or if it didn't work, I'll give you some more advice. OK. And then I say to them, please prove me wrong. But there's 100 people in the room and I'll be lucky if two or three of you even phone. Me. Yeah. OK. Uh, so. The reason I do it is one, it's there's a handful of like you say, there's a handful of people in the room that are really engaged and want more, and actually they're the ones that it creates that opportunity where if they report great results, I say, fantastic, would you put that in writing? And I can have a testimony, right? If it's something that they struggled with and it didn't quite work, it gives me a second chance to say, okay, let's try this tack, come back to me again. And it gives me a second chance if it didn't hit the right mark or they got confused with the application so uh, so I'm, uh, you probably don't know a guy called um, Graham Davies who's on the line at the moment now he's put something in the chat box and I don't know if I should read this or if he's going to come in and, and tell us but we I made the comment about we all have a front row seat you mentioned about only a small percentage of the audience are really in the front row he's put the harsh reality everyone has a back row seat um, and I know he's somebody, and we've talked about this, who doesn't, if he's at, going to an event, uh, particularly virtually, doesn't want to necessarily have his camera on because he does want to be able to do stuff. He wants to be able to be engaged when he wants to, but 
particularly if it's for a duration, sitting in front of a camera like this, listening for three hours is a bit much. And, and actually, some of us want the back row seats, not yep. just because we want to heckle and nobody can see us, Mr. Dodd, but, you know, some, some people like sitting at the back, right? The problem we have with that as an industry as mm -hmm. is, is the fact of the matter is if that is the choice that people have to, for everyone to have a back row seat and see, see the, the Zoom meeting where you've got a speaker presenting as um, a background noise and kind of, yeah. then the value of it actually goes down and down. Yeah. And then, and so, the, and then the long, if we're in this for the long term, kind of, and I, and I, I've, I absolutely, virtual's not going away, kind of, then actually all that's going to happen is the industry, the value of the industry is going to get less and less. Yeah. Um, and yes, Zoom meetings are going to take place or whatever we call them, virtual meetings are going to take place where you've got four or five engaged people who are actually engaged in the whole thing. But the concept of having a keynote speaker directing a larger scale audience, um, who, what, what business owner or director of a company is going to invest uh, money in that if they know that half of the audience or even three quarters of the audience are not engaged in the whole thing. And I absolutely agree with Craig. Yeah. And I and suppose I you move again, into that, that dangerous territory of clocking in to show you're there, but you're not really checked in, you're not really in the room. As I mean, and, and we're already having speakers kind of saying, we kind of, we will only speak, but everyone has to have their camera on um, if I'm speaking. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think kind of, I think I've, seen, of, I've seen on uh, a couple of presentations where people go, we're doing a poll now, but we won't end it until everybody's answered. So I think kind of the, the challenge for a speaker and excuse, apologies for using you, Graham, but the challenge for a speaker from the moment they come on screen is their challenge will be, I need to get Graham to turn his video on. If I don't get him to turn his video on in two minutes, I am failing as a speaker and genuinely to that level. Yeah. Because you're not about the 1% who are engaged because they want to come on, they're already engaged. Yeah. You're, Almost you're see, seeing Graham's name and no video is like seeing him at the back of the room on his phone, clearly on Facebook. While yeah, I'm, but, and I think it's a really interesting challenge for speakers because actually you guys have been dealing with it for a long time. Because actually, I remember many years ago when I when I first started, but mobile phones became more ubiquitous. Um, speakers are like kind of everyone ha they stand up. Everyone has to turn your phone off before I start speaking because I'm the most important person. You can't be doing anything else. And, and that's evolved through the whole time. And now actually kind of speakers almost justify themselves saying we want everyone on their phone because they're clearly tweeting amazing stuff about us to the wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's I, I had a different take. I said as a telephone assassin, I'd recommend you turn your phone off because I'll make you answer it if it rings. And there we go. <laughs> but I think I think that's the whole thing is actually engage with them in terms of what they're doing rather than turning it into a fight about a whole stuff. I mean, that's yeah. kind of if Graham is if Graham is, does not want his camera on, and Graham apologies again, yeah. kind of because he wants to use his time to be doing other stuff, then the truth of the matter is I'm failing at Graham because I literally I'm not giving him he's not I haven't got the focus of his attention, therefore I'm doing something wrong. Well, uh, now I can just let you into the secret, Nick, that uh, uh, Graham is uh, has a haircut very similar to yours, a hairstyle, and he's very embarrassed about it. Uh, of course, if he bobs up uh, now to prove me wrong, that's great. But uh, <laughs> yeah. um, my take, interesting, when I'm training people in presentation skills, has always been uh, on the phone thing. Is look, if they're in the room and they're on their phone, um, they might be tweeting about you. But basically, if they're not fully engaged with you, it's your fault. Uh, you know, you need to be more engaging. You need to be better, which is why I'm here to help. And I would say in the case of the Zoom world, it's kind of that the same guidance plus. It's mm -hmm. if you're talking to a screen and people are not engaged, whether we can see them or not, and it's better if we can, 
um, basically it's it's our fault as speakers. And uh, that would be, I suppose, my pitch would be uh, to you know an organizer is, and hopefully uh, others in the PSA would feel the same that you know we can get maximum possible engagement by being fascinating and and helpful and uh, giving you useful stuff that you can use straight away. I always find it uh, just as kind of I always find it fascinating that a lot of speakers come to us and one of their sales pitches to me is um, yes I've spoken at over 4,000 conferences and my average rating is 4.8 um, and, and my answer to that is I don't understand if literally the moment you get off stage you aren't giving when they hand out the feedback forms you aren't getting five stars so why are you only getting 4.8 as opposed to five because that's your job like what I'm actually interested in is if I went back to those four thousand, those twelve thousand people that heard you speak, whatever it was, six months down the line, and said who spoke of that and what do they say and how did that impact you, and then your average rating is one point six. That's when you don't have any impact. <laughs> I, I kind of, yeah. but but there, there is an element. Truth, I suppose kind of going back. Sorry, just to finish going kind of what Paul. I suppose reinforcing your point. It's a truth. It's I kind of do. I actually care whether Graham's got his camera on or not. No, probably it's ego for myself that I'd like it to be on. What I do care about is am I going to get that tweet or that email or that phone call a week's time, a month's time from Graham saying, thanks, the words you said really helped me um, do this, that and the other. Uh, Mr. Risner once told me that I'm a people pleaser when I first started. He went, you want everybody to like you, don't you? And he said, and if at least 5% of the room don't like you, you're probably not being controversial enough. Um, <laughs> and therefore, you're just telling people what they want to hear. Uh, is there an element of you're not going to get 100% engagement and love coming from everybody who's on the on the, the Zoom? Or... But, you, but you've just, you, hold on, in the same sentence, you've just used the word engagement and love and assumed that those two things have to be positive. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, 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 okay, I get what you mean there, yeah. So kind of, do I, do I assume that, do I want to get 100% engagement? Yes, I want everyone to hate me or everyone to love me or but everyone to have an opinion about me. The okay. worst thing I can get is feedback. I'm, I'm almost, we, we, when a client rings up and says that person was disgraceful, kind of hated every minute and stuff like that, at least they had some feelings. I always say, kind of, it's really interesting, I always say the enlightened client for us is the person who books, kind of, it's like they book Anthony, Anthony comes up on stage or kind of is on the Zoom, and, um, and, and the, CEO the CEO listens to everything you have to say and then stands up after you and says to everyone, that was Anthony. I disagree with everything that Anthony has just said. In fact, I'd say to you, I think it's a load of rubbish. But here's the thing. I want you all to know that at least I, I've listened to Anthony and got his opinion. And then you guys can decide whether you believe in me or you believe in what Anthony has to say. And you can take that path, which actually is a positive path for yourselves. They're putting stakes in the ground. If yeah. actually you're anodyne, you're giving me 45 minutes. You know something? I'll go and watch some television. That's fine. And switch yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, I could reinforce that, uh, not just specifically with Anthony, uh, uh, Nick, but um, but uh, <laughs> I do um, uh, business leaders groups. I now do them online. Um, and typically you've got a couple of um, uh, task orientated extroverts, uh, Donald Trump kind of uh, A-type personalities. And they will say quite, they probably don't even wait to the end. Uh, yeah, I disagree with this. I disagree with that. And what I find is, uh, and I'm often dealing with great answers to tough questions, but what I'm finding is that they're actually, um, uh, they're the ones who are most likely to ring up on Monday. And I've had that where they say, oh, could you come and work with my team? Even though they've kind of, you know, sort of said pretty much what you encapsulated there. And so um, the thing is they had been engaged one way or another. Uh, they haven't wanted to say so in front of the group, but behind the scenes at the back of the room, they're thinking, well, yeah, this is useful. Uh, so uh, 
hopefully uh, we don't let it put us off too much. I get asked quite often, like from speakers, who should I listen to? Which TED talk should I listen to? Blah, 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 kind of. And my answer is go to a comedy store on a Monday night. You know? mm. Because uh, kind of, and, and I can talk about that, but I think in this context, the key, the key thing about the comedy, listening to a comedian, is the worst response a comedian can have is a silent room. They want everyone to be shouting at them and then responding to them, or they want everyone to be laughing. You ask a comedian when they fail, and it's when everyone's sitting there and having no reaction at all. And mm. ultimately, that's what your performance, whether you're a performer on Zoom or your performer's on stage, yes, you want to leave a lasting impression. I want that joke that stays with me and makes me chuckle six months down the line. I want that, that bit of tan, tangible bit of knowledge that helps me further my career. But I also want to be engaged. I want you to give me a performance which actually yeah. makes me remember Make me feel something. Yeah. Mm. And whatever that is, just visceral. Give me some, something visceral which actually gets me my heart pumping. I actually met a speaker um, in a mastermind group and he claimed that he's, the performance on camera he, he's not enjoying and on stage he, he says he's very 100% he's confident in his, in his content. When he's on stage he says it's absolutely fine but on camera he was really struggling um, and actually puts it down to almost the atmosphere and the reaction that energises him when he's on stage and at a physical event, you like, like you say, you get to network at those events. You get to chat to people afterwards in the coffee break and there's more atmosphere and buzz, which some speakers need to get in the zone when we're, I think we're perhaps at least two of us sat up in our lofts, all right, with the window open. I'm all by myself. I'm delivering to, you can be delivering to hundreds of people. It's that feeling is hard, right, as a speaker, or, or yeah. is that when you know who are the naturals and are going to be able to be on speaker? It's not even a natural, it's a fact of actually kind of ultimately, we've all fallen into a career that we've fallen into, and part of it, and the realization for those people who are enjoying their careers is because they enjoy what they do. If you don't feel comfortable in an environment, then turn around and say, This is not my environment for me, and actually, if I choose it, it potentially is going to harm my environment. Yes, the risk is there because when, when's the physical coming back and everything like that, but the truth is, you want that career in the long term. Um, and if you really don't feel comfortable and you need the feedback from your um, from your audience, then accept yeah. where you are, accept what you're doing. But your advice at the beginning for us, Nick, about um, you know getting them engaged with a question early on, uh, I mean, uh, and recognizing that these days in a Zoom environment, it's more a conversation than you know a traditional keynote. Um, there's a lot of kind of uh, gratification there for. Uh, for people who kind of like the feel of the sort of uh, response in the room, if we follow your advice on that. Yes, but I think, but I think the problem is the fact that you kind of, that energy, you don't get the energy. I mean, listen, you come off kind of, I'm not a speaker, I'm just talking to you guys, but yeah. I still, I come off a conversation and I'm, I'm exhausted on a Zoom, whereas actually in a room or kind of if, if I'm invited to a panel or something like that, it's, it's fine. But this yeah. is exhausting, it's intense. Um, yeah. And... And you kind of, and that's because the energy in the room lifts you and keeps, you, and you ride along it. To get to generate that yourself is something you can kind of that some people you've just got to accept your limitations and turn yeah. around and say, I get it. Maybe there's other things I should be doing right now. Maybe kind of, I don't. I, I'm looking at the longer picture. What can I be doing right now that maintains my brand so that actually, when it when the the experience of live comes back, life of the physical comes back, um, I can be back on it. If if I if I do something now which I'm not enjoying primarily it's going to impact me in the long term good good stuff there are some people in the psa who are kind of scared of the stage but have a very good story that 
they feel needs to be shared with the world. So there is an element of you're probably going to hit a certain level if that's your mindset, because like you say, it goes back to this is a career, right? You're, this, this is a job. It's not just a hobby and an ego thing. There's a whole business behind this and there needs to be a value proposition. There needs to be marketing. You, you need to deliver at the highest level. Um, it, it's a business. And that was one of the things I think I may have mentioned to you, Nick, before, but I've certainly mentioned in PSA with um, Chris Akabusi who came in. And for somebody who is so down to earth and doesn't take himself very seriously, bearing in mind he's, he's dressed up in a tutu and done a yoga advert, he <laughs> takes the business of speaking so seriously. And, and that was the thing that echoed what you were saying at the beginning about the guarantees is his, he said his clients know that their stage is safe in his hands. And actually yeah. that's what he gives them is not only the, the knowing that there's a good message, but the reassurance that he's in control of that audience and whether that's virtual or, or on stage. I've just seen QJ's chat, uh, question on chat, kind of, and if it kind of, if I just read it out and answer that, I think this is exactly what you're saying. So QJ asked me how much of your job or the bureau's job is recommending speakers to clients. Thank you for that. Um, and that is our job, but I think kind of the, what does recommending actually mean? And the truth of the matter is we kind of, there's two things to say about that. Firstly, you guys are in an industry where there's no barriers to entry. To create your one pager, anyone could create a one pager. And if they have um, anything, they should be able to do it really, really well. And you, just because you've done 10,000 speak, speeches, that doesn't mean to say, therefore, a client's going to pick you above someone who's got the most incredible one pager. I almost guarantee you the one pager person will get. 90% of your job, it's nothing to do with your ability on stage, it's to do with, it's to do with your marketing and how you present yourselves. And too many people don't understand that. So what's our job is our job is to, is, is to curate you guys. That's what we do. We curate you guys. Our job is to understand who you are and actually give our clients who is best for them based on their audience, based on what they're looking for, based on everything about you. And that also includes, as going to your comment in terms of Chris, it's giving them the reassurance that although they've told us it's 300 people in a room, all suited and booted, average age 45, 80% male, duh, 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 and they turn up and it's a bunch of 19-year-old females or something like that, that actually the person on stage is going to stand on stage and deliver because we've given them the right person who they have absolute confidence with. When I started, it was always kind of... Um, one of the things I got taught early on was, as a speaker bureau, we cannot guarantee the speaker. What they do on stage, we cannot guarantee it. Don't get me... Let's not be around the bush. We are guaranteeing you guys. It's our you, listen. When listen, if you're good, you get all the praise, and you can be kind of you can go and say how wonderful you are and tell me you got 4.97 out of five. Well mm. done, you guys. If you're bad, don't worry about it. You'll never hear about it. We've got your back, and we'll take the kicking. Yeah. We have to guarantee you guys. And speakers don't speakers don't understand that actually. No, no, no. That's me going too hard. Speakers have to have to understand. That our role is to curate you guys. Our, our role is to give you guys a platform where you can be the, speak, the, the, the speaking rock stars and you just saunter up to stage and do your jazzy hands and make everyone happy. And, and yeah. we know that we've done all the hard work in the background. And you guys are laughing because actually you've done the work up front because you've got to put us in the best position in order to get you the job. Yeah. But, but there's two bridges that can be burned with a bad delivery. It's the relationship with you and your client for recommending somebody who perhaps didn't deliver and your trust in me as well okay listen i kind of i have as i said before over eight thousand speakers on my database yeah how many of them kind of we do i think last year we did about 
1700 odd jobs or something like that. Therefore, let's work the maths. How many speakers do I actually use? That if some of my top speakers are booked kind of 20, 30 times, how many speakers do I actually use? Why are we using them? It's not because they're the latest. It's not because they're the highest profile. It's not because they have the best one pager. It's because we know them, we trust them, we like them. They spend time to get to know us. And I think kind of one of the things I was thinking about earlier is almost a question to you guys. If I turn to you and say, who's your favorite bureau? Or who's your favorite client or something like that? You probably turn around and say to me and give out a name of a company and things like that. And actually you're not, you're just dealing with people. And the truth of the matter is, is actually, if you get in there with one person of one bureau, you basically you've got your kind of career made. And if they look after you and you look after them in the right way, then you are pretty, it's a relationship thing that, that everyone wins from. We, we curate so if, I don't, so if I don't blow it, Nigel's intro to you, for me, could be the thing that catapults me into <laughs> stardom. Never, never a truer word said, my friend. A true word said. I, th I, I, th I think there's an interesting thing about people, and this is my perception of the PSA. They're the P they're members of the PSA who, who speak to the bureaus as. Um, Sorry, I've just muted him. Carry that's on. right. They see the bureaus as um, rivals, competitors, antagonistic. We're just people who have clients who basically can make or break your careers. So therefore, maybe treat <laughs> maybe treat my my account managers, maybe two other bureaus, account managers, just one or two of them nicely. And then you can sit back and kind of, and give all the speeches you ever want to give. Yeah, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, firstly, I'll say bless you to Nigel. Uh, but obviously as you've come back, Nigel, and you were the, the man who introduced me, I don't know if you've got a particular question. I imagine if you had a question for Nick, you'd just phone him up and ask him directly, but. Exactly, but give me a minute because we're just having a moment here. Yeah, I think, okay. I think Nigel needs to wear a face mask to continue this. I'm feeling, I'm feeling uh, a bit threatened here. There we go, bless you. Um, it's, uh, in the PSA, I need to be careful how I ask this, do you think that some people perhaps underestimate the effort and energy that's required and the focus in your career that is actually required to get to the sort of level that you're talking about and the sorts of people you represent? You touched on it earlier, and I can't remember who was said it before. Ultimately, what is the aim? Well, Why are you a member of the PSA and what are you- My camera's not there now. At your speaking career. Um, that's the question you start yourself because I think there's a lot of members of the PSA who actually achieve what they want to achieve and are very happy in that little, that little in the space they've managed to get. Um, and good luck to them. And that's absolutely fine. Kind of bureaus, we maybe we do, we operate on a slightly higher level than kind of to the next level up above kind of maybe some of the PSA speakers. I'm trying not to be disrespectful or anything like that. Um, well, well, we had a really frank chat when I first asked you to come on and I said, I want, I want you to be blunt because you said, I, I know people from the PSA and, some of them are not at the level that I would expect. And... But I, I think, but I, and I think the thing is, this is kind of, it's, it's an understanding the marketplace over time is getting more and more difficult to be in. And so even if you found yourself a niche in the marketplace, if you have no aspirations to keep on going up, then actually what's going to happen over time is you're just going to go down. So yeah. you have, if you all want to be a speaker, you have to aspire to keep on getting better. Yeah. And what do I mean? But what do I define as better? Cause that doesn't mean I have to be better on stage because actually almost that should be a given. It's what, yeah. what does it mean by, I want to be better? It means I want to do more gigs or I want to be charging more or I want to be a higher profile. Or I want to kind of be quoted in the Times as one of the UK's leading thinkers, whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. It's that goal and you can achieve that through speaking. And if you don't have those, I can almost guarantee you there's a hundred speakers who, who there's a hundred people today who've decided for whatever reason in their careers that actually there's an opportunity for them to start speaking because they've got something to say. 
Um, and they're now competing against you at that level and they're new and they're fresh and they'll come in with a new angle and they'll, they'll get booked above you just because they just find that way. Okay. Awesome. Mr. Reznor, nice to have you back. Sorry. It's really interesting something Nick just said, because my relationship with the bureaus who I work with, is based only on one thing is trust and my delivery. You know, so they know I'm going to deliver. They know it's going to be a 9.7, whatever. But, but the point is always that I'm going to deliver on point and I get rebooked. They don't really care who I am, what I do in that sense. They care about my delivery and either being rebooked and also me giving the work back to the bureau. The idea of trying to show off the bureau, you'll only ever do it once. They're going to find out everything's on social media. <laughs> so you can't hide in the way you used to in the past 20 years ago because no one would ever know. Every time you speak, there is a record somewhere of every event you do. So yeah. for anyone who's listening to this, they will find out if you try and be if you try to be silly about it. And but it's a waste also, of time. But, no, but also the interesting thing is it's a waste of time, but even more is it a waste of time because we will find out. And then yeah. we'll be like, yeah, you had that client and we'll never put you again. Don't worry. I've got another 15,000 clients. You've just missed out on those clients. Because we used to play in the, a game in the office, at a speaker's corner in the office saying, who is replaceable? And the game was quite simple. Someone would shout a name of a speaker and then we'd say 20 speakers we could replace them with. And really that's kind of, that's the game we're in. Now your, your, your job as a speaker, your sole job as a speaker, if you want to get these bookings from the bureaus, is to turn around and say, these are the, the 20 speakers I'm replaceable with. How can I make sure I'm the number one person that any account manager, booker, whatever you want to call them, is thinking about when they're on the phone to the client? Because I, 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 I say to speakers quite often, Here's the thing. We've got 8,000 speakers on our database. I'll keep on going on about 8,000 speakers on our database. Maybe we know 1,500 really, really well. Yeah, of those 1,500, maybe we're regularly talking kind of, maybe in our minds, at any one time, I can remember 100 people's names. And I can, like, you ask me for the pattern for them, boom, I can sell you left, right, and center. Now, that 100 is constantly being changed. Why? Because we have two or three speakers coming into the speaker's corner every week to talk to the team because we had someone out booked last week who was fantastic and stuff like that. So that 100 is constantly changing. How can you stay as a speaker, as one of the 100 people who Nick Gold or another booker at any of the bureaus is thinking about, how do you stay at the top of their mind? And the challenge here is the fact that if you send me emails every week with an update about what you've done that week, which has no real information, I'm going to press delete before I read it. Why? Because I've got 8,000 of them coming in and I'm really sorry, but I need to do some work. <laughs> if though, and, and, that, and that drives me insane, but more what drives me insane is when I call up a speaker because we've got, kind of, we've got, we're working on an event which actually they'd be perfect for. And the speaker goes, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm free that day. I just looked at the bio you're using and it doesn't mention that last week I rode across the Atlantic. It's like, why did you not tell us you were rowing across the Atlantic? Because that's something we can use to sell you. And it's like, I didn't want to disturb you and you should have known it was in the paper. And I'm like, I don't follow your career. That's yes. not my responsibility to follow your career. It's your responsibility to keep me up to date. Yeah, 8,000 people to keep an eye on. <laughs> and you guys managing that balance is yeah. the game. Okay. It is the game because it goes back to if one of my guys books a speaker they really like 10, 15 times a year, and you can get three or four bookers from three or four bureaus doing that, then you yeah. don't need to do any marketing. You so, are suddenly going down from trying to get outreach to a thousand people to literally having 15 to 20 customers who are your core client, who are, book, who are the ones who are making you money and booking you the whole time. And therefore you can develop relationships with them. You can make them feel a million dollars and you, and, they, and you know you can guarantee yourselves that you're getting work. And absolutely, I agree with 
Nigel. Is so, so what Nigel? So, so Nigel was more talking about um, the um, uh, the continuity, the fact that he's consistent. He consistently performs, but then the other the, the other little part to it is that staying in touch with you in a way that isn't harassing you and sending you nonsense, but some yeah. sharp highlights that might help you do your job in repositioning us or. He, he, consistently, he consistently delivers, and one of the reasons he consistently delivers is he knows we're a partnership in the whole thing. So on occasions when we recommended him out, and sorry, Nigel, I hope you on occasions where we recommended him out and we've had the briefing call, and you know something, what the client is looking for, it doesn't work that well. Nigel will call me up and say, I can do it, don't worry, but I'm not sure I'm the perfect person for it. Yeah? Because he understands that actually by giving me that feedback, I'm going to almost owe him one and therefore I'm going to be recommending him out and pushing him out more. And actually in the long term, he's going to be doing well out of the whole thing. <laughs> that sounds like a win, 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 right? For the other speakers. The game should be, I mean, this is, and again, I say this advisedly because I'm not a member of the PSA and I sit outside and I don't really have any kind of, uh, but the PSA, it seems there's too much in the PSA that it's combative rather than, rather than relationship building, rather than a partnership. Yeah, and, um, and I have to be honest, uh, Nigel's the first chap I've come across in the PSA that has actually collaborated really well with Jeff. And actually, as speakers, you you help each other and you recommend each other. Plus, you've got this double act thing you can do together. It's you don't see other speakers as your competition, right? But, but no, but I, I'm not the perfect person for loads of other stuff. When it comes to after dinner, you've got people like Graham Davis who are phenomenal. If it was about being an MC, there are phenomenal people out there. I don't do that. So why would I put myself out there and be okay? Greg Searle had a great line. He said, make sure your worst is better than everyone else's best. So at my level, what I'm really good at, I know is going to work. But I'm shite after dinner. Why would I put myself out there to do it? Yeah. There are better people. And it's much better to go back to the bureau and say, look, this, they've changed the brief. Find someone else that's much better than me. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can, I make, can, I, can I just make an observation, which has always been the case, and it's still the case to me, is the fact that every company has at least two meetings a year, whether they're a two-person company or a 20,000-person company. One is for their clients, one is for their staff. And the truth of the matter is they always have a speaker at all those events. Yes, it might be the MD, or, and it might be the FD, and it might be really, really dull people. But we probably, as an industry, tap into only 1% of the amount of meetings and conferences that go on. And actually, if we start working together and understanding that the competition shouldn't be about winning the gig and competing speaker bureaus against members of the PSA or speakers against speakers, but actually educating the marketplace that what they need is they need a different voice who's going to help them guide them through the, these times or whatever it is or the troubles they're going through, then suddenly, rather than actually competing against a marketplace that's only a fraction of our marketplace, you're expanding the marketplace and we're all doing well. And I think, again, my observation is it's too inward looking. It's too, kind of the industry, the PSA is too inward looking. And actually what they should be doing is actually how can we educate the marketplace over they need us. They need outside voices now in these times more than ever. Um, and that, well, that's that, where there needs to be an official spokesperson to the outside industry about what professional speaking is about. Yeah. As like the UK hospitality and things like that. We need to have a proper body that is sharing with the market what we do and why we add value, not we're just a paid entertainer. Yeah. And I have to say, I've, I've done gigs for clients where I'm the only external speaker who's come in and they always love it. And at the end, they kind of go, brilliant. Uh, can you give us some feedback? And I always say to them, 
why you didn't get a professional MC, I've got no idea. Like <laughs> the, the whole feel of the event would have been different. And actually you do end up having to educate clients. And um, I think touching on that when you're not a good fit, uh, my first ever mentor basically told me, own your niche, get known for what you're really good at. When you get asked to do something else, that's the beauty of the PSA. You usually know another expert who's written a book on that topic. So unfortunately in my early days, I was forced to be the negotiation assassin. But I did say to the client, I know a guy, in fact, I know a few people who've written books on negotiating. I think you should use them. Um, yeah. But I the client then said, but they, they know you, they trust you. And I did it anyway, but it was the worst session. I hated, hated it because it wasn't, didn't feel like you say, Nigel, like it was my stuff for me in the zone being the best, better than everybody. My worst was didn't feel like it was better than everybody else's best but uh so the question so the question i would ask at the time was kind of if you were prepared to do that then almost you weren't looking strategically long term because actually you were you're running the risk of destroying your brand by the fact you're taking a gig you don't want to do mm -hmm. now i'm trying again, to say so my, my, thro my throwaway speaker bureau pitch to you is that when you can't do it introduce them to what a speaker bureau because most importantly for you, you're in there for telling the speaker bureau again, they owe you one. They'll put in a person, you know, they'll put in an amazing person because that speaker bureaus have to put in an amazing person. Yeah. And suddenly you're in there with them and you're going to, they're going to be recommending you out for other gigs because they, because you've recommended them. Yeah. And actually that's a brilliant new strategy that I'm definitely going to start applying because I know so many speakers in the PSA. When I get asked for stuff, I always go, oh, you should speak to this speaker. But actually when I'm being asked, to do stuff that I don't think is a good fit. I think that's a great opportunity to not only recommend speakers, but to actually say, well, look, speak to a bureau, this is their job. Um, and to, to pass something out, is it give us game? Absolutely. Like Nigel right. said, there's, there's that guilt in saying, I don't think I'm a good fit for this, Nick. If you could find somebody else, that'd be great. With an underlying subtext of, and now you owe me one. <laughs> Dead right. Dead right. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think uh, we can really help you at our Christmas party, uh, which I'm sure Anthony is organising now, Nick. Uh, and that is, uh, Anthony can tell everyone that the speaker bureaus play this game, which speaker is irreplaceable. <laughs> and then we could do which speaker bureau is irreplaceable. And we have a, a fantastic win-win. <laughs> Michael, there isn't a speaker bureau that's irreplaceable. Okay, trust me on that one. <laughs> okay. Don't play that one, game. <laughs> I get oh, it. Brilliant. Um, can, I, can I just, Anthony, sorry, just throwing in one other thing for you to support, kind of, and I've been banging on about this. My my partner in a speaker's corner, Tim, who's also my brother, he, you asked him, he's thoroughly bored of me saying it. But to me, the host, the speaker, the the person who's an MCR host is the great undiscovered uh, thing in the, in the entire speaking industry. Because for me, they basically get paid the same for being there all day as opposed to a speaker who's only on stage for 45 minutes. They basically mm -hmm. give the equivalent of four speeches while you're all giving one. And mm -hmm. actually they turn the worst, the worst event into a great event and make the MD look fantastic, even though they're the most boring speaker. And one day for anyone who's listening to this, who is a, ho a professional host or a facilitator, I promise you, well, not, I, promise, I, I put in my hand on my heart that I am doing anything in my power for clients to understand that the best investment they can be making for any of their events is to, is a, is a facilitator is the number one thing because they okay. can turn something which average into something magic and clients haven't yet got that. So, so you, go, you have just made my absolute day because off the back of doing um, PSA, so my job as, as a present is I decided that I was going to run the day. Nigel got off the phone after attending and basically said what you and Nathan did was really good as in it felt quite smooth we kept it moving quite quickly and has suggested that and we've had a conversation 
um, that it's something that potentially we could offer as just an add on to what we already do as speaking, but to take that stress of running the event or the tech, if that's an issue for them as well. Um, and I've been keeping people well, my, my on like six hours. My challenge to that is if you say to me, I'm a keynote speaker and also I can facilitate and do stuff like that, I'd turn around and say, whatever. Ah, what okay, so I'm now not an expert of one thing. So that would no, go just... against me. I, as a, again, as a bureau, I have some amazing facilitators and their role is, they're amazing facilitators because they specialize in that and they're brilliant at that. Okay. And I have some of the greatest, if not the greatest speakers in the world on my, on my books because yep. they are the greatest speakers. Someone who says they can do everything, I'm sure you can. The same way, I, the same way I'm the best at virtual as much as I am as a, at physical. You're not the best at both. You can't okay. be the best at everything. What, so from a bureau's on? perspective, you would that would turn you off if I said, as well as my telephone assassin stuff or my conversation it's stuff. Not, it's not turning me off, but if I, on average, provide a list of three or four ideas to my clients, and yes, I might be kind of, um, and I might be pushing one kind of to them because that person is right. Still, I've got to give them choices. And actually, the truth of the matter is, if they've asked me for a professional facilitator and I'm providing them a list of people who, as a keynote speaker and a professional facilitator who spent 25 years in business, da, 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 it's like, all right, but basically you, you do a bit of everything. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not saying that's, it's, it's not, it turns me off. It's yeah. a position, 90% of the game you guys are in is marketing. Okay. And Nick, the dean who you used for our event a couple of weeks ago was absolutely first class as a facilitator, host, whatever, and, and had the ability to ask great questions. As against, I'm sure she can speak, but she was absolutely unreal as a facilitator. And I would I would recommend every single day to say to one of my clients, get the dean in, speak to Nick Gold, he'll organise it all for you. Because she was world-class, probably the best MC I've ever worked with. Yeah, and because, but she made and she made a decision very much that this is her market she wanted to get into. And it was a conscious decision. And it's a tough decision. And it showed. And it's a tough play because it's much easier to distinguish yourself from market yourself and point of difference as a speaker than it is to facilitate as a facilitator. Because people think that, yeah, I'm good at taking questions and I can kind of introduce speakers really well. Everyone's like, yeah, that's easy. It's not. It's not. And tiring. I've done it once. And very tiring. I remember you emceeing UMC the May Festival, didn't you? Did he? Uh, Nigel. Was, any, My first was, was anyone allowed to speak or just Nigel? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, I have to say we, we've gone a bit over an hour now and I feel like I just want to constantly ask you more and more questions. Um, really appreciate you uh, sharing so much and being quite honest and, and not sugarcoating bits of it because I like to say I think many people do need to kick up the bum and, and if it is your hobby that's fine but it is a career and actually investing in yourself, learning, constantly trying to get better is a key part of being a speaker and surviving in this what seems to be an ever more crowded industry yeah but see it see this time as an opportunity for trying to really forge a brand and really kind of create something so that you are looking at it in the long term don't see it as a time where you've got to kind of pivot and do this and do that and stuff like that where do you want to get to because the world will kind of the speaking industry will pick up and it will become something bigger again and if you're not in the right place because you've kind of reacted to the moment then you run the risk of, of harming wh where you want to get to awesome brilliant advice thank you once again uh, as i mentioned we are going to put the recording of this into our facebook group and uh, so if any more comments and stuff come off the back of that i think you're in the group now nick so hopefully you'll see some of those too um 
But obviously, you'd be very welcome. One of the questions that I was uh, asked when I first put the post out, Maria Franzoni, who is one of our bookers who came to our speaker booker day, uh, had a question which was, uh, are you going to join the PSA? But I won't make you answer that now. But as somebody who isn't a speaker, you can obviously join as an associate and we would love to have you involved in more of our events. Uh, but just coming and agreeing to do this, though, I'm very grateful. So thank you ever so much, Nick. I'm gonna, pre in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop recording, but if you've got one final thing you wanna finish us up on, then fire away. No, listen, just to say, please, please keep talking, keep talking to the bureaus as much as to each other and challenge each other as an industry, because we need to do this together in order to both rescue the industry and grow the industry. And I leave with a point that I, that I said much earlier, which is our greatest risk isn't anything to do with COVID or virtual or anything like that, but it's ourselves destroying our own industry because we get up ourselves too much. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. I've stopped recording. That is brilliant. Nick, you're a, a legend. Thank you ever so much. Um, Honestly, I just make this up as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still be a speaker yet. <laughs> I was say, yeah, you've got all the makings of a speaker there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. QJ, thank you for joining us. Michael as well. And Nigel, lovely to see you. And thank you once again for the introduction to Nick. Pleasure. Thank Have a great weekend, everyone. everyone. Be good. Take care. See you see later, you fellas. Later. Take care. Bye bye. Have a brilliant bye. afternoon. Thanks.